Hello there, online family. So good to see you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Agora Bible Fellowship, and we just wanted to say welcome. Welcome to another online service. So our heart here at the church is that everyone is connected to a local body of believers. And so our hope is that these online messages are just supplemental, that they're either a great additional teaching in your week here on a midweek, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, just trying to dive into more of God's word, or you're gone traveling, you just don't want to miss a service. Either way, that is fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us here. A couple of things wanted to point your attention to. The first is we would love for you to text any prayer request that you have to 97,000. 97 and three zeros. Please text us those requests and we will pray for you this week. Stephanie will respond to you pretty much immediately uh, throughout the week. Uh, go ahead and test it. That would be great. We'd love to pray for you. A uh, couple other things. If you're interested in what is going on here at this local body of believers here in Agora, uh, Hills, California. We'd love for you to check out the website. You can see all the different ministries that we have, all the different events that are going on here in the next few weeks, ways to get plugged into groups, ways to serve. All that is on the website. As well, on the website is an opportunity to give. If you're interested in continuing to support the ministries here, uh, your donations, people donations, is the only way that we continue to have any sort of impact here and around the world. 10% of all money that comes in, then we distribute out to both local and global missions. Thank you so much for continuing to support the ministries here. We appreciate it a ton. So now, I don't want to keep you waiting. It is time to get into God's Word. That's why you're here, so let's do it. Well, greetings, church family. Great to see you and uh, great to be back with you in the new year. want to wish you, if I haven't had a chance already to do so, just a happy new year. Hopefully you had a fantastic uh, time ushering in the new year. Well, I'm excited to pick back up in 1 Corinthians, although Josh uh, was there last week working through uh, chapter 10. I'm now starting the second half of it. I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 33, a couple verses that will overlap on from last week. But basically, if you've been paying attention, this entire book is Paul writing to these young Corinthian believers, and he's helping them to address just different problems that come up within the church. And he's bringing up first things that he thinks they should be considering, and he's also addressing some of the topics that they have written him about. And so kind of a, a blend of both things. Last week, Josh talked about the idolatry they were surrounded with and helped clarify what modern day idolatry looks like now. And really the question, if you were to summarize what they're dealing with, is how do you navigate a fallen, broken, idolatrous world? How do you, how do you navigate? What does it look like to be in the world but not of the world. It's kind of that blend and that tension that all of us feel of, well, which things do I participate in? Which things do I reject? How do I, I find a balance in all of that? I've noticed one of the trends present day in Christendom is for us to boycott things. There's a, it's a really every single week, it's like, what's the next thing that we're going to boycott? And the question is, is that the appropriate response to things that uh, conflict with our belief system? And here's an interesting thing. In the last couple of weeks, you saw probably, if you're watching the news at all, Balenciaga was exposed for their sick child exploitation in some marketing campaign. And so 
uh, rightfully so. You saw lots of people saying, believers and non-believers, that were saying, you know, we're, we're just done with this company. What's interesting and what you see across the board is when you dig in a little bit deeper of any company, you start to realize, man, this goes a lot further back than you may have realized. A lot of us might not realize that we have uh, the parent company of Balenciaga is, owns Adidas, it owns Gucci, it owns Puma. So do I need to be done with all of my Gucci purses? The, lots of tough questions that we all face of how do you respond? Is it boycotting everything? Man, that's so hard in a fallen broken world. Well, this week, I think there's some great clues and some great uh, thinking that goes into responding to an idolatrous nation, an idolatrous people, and how do we navigate that life? I'm going to pray before we explore the text. Lord Jesus, we do ask for wisdom. Your word says if we're lacking it, we're to ask for it, and it comes so often in, your, in the pages of Scripture, guiding us and giving us clues and direction on, on how to walk the fine line of being in the world but not of the world. God, I pray that you'd give us wisdom, that we'd be teachable on this subject, that we wouldn't assume that we have it all figured out. I ask that you'd be present even in this time. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. So let me give you just a little bit of context. I know some of that was set last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to Josh's message on this topic, I encourage you to go back. But what's happening in the culture is you literally, in the area that they're placed in Corinth, there's literally hundreds of false gods that are being worshipped, kind of a, a god for everyone, if you will. And in that worship, a part of that worship was often uh, the act of sacrifice. So the Christians had to wrestle through because the majority of the foods that were distributed at, at vendors or at a butcher or whatever were like meats or, or food items that would have possibly been used in some degree of temple worship. So what they had concluded, they had come to the conclusion that it was unrealistic to stop eating all the foods that were sacrificed because it was really such a, a large percentage of the food. So they came to the conclusion that it wasn't that big of a deal to partake in food that was, uh, that was sacrificed to idols because they were false idols. Now, in and of that, we're going to see later in the text that that's not necessarily the issue. That's not a problem, but the problem was, is the slippery slope that that can go down. Their thinking progressed, well, since idols were false, certainly it's not a problem if I go to the festivals honoring them, right? And really, that's the same issue we run into today. We have certain areas that will stand our ground, certain areas that will give herself a little bit of latitude, and that little bit of latitude snowballs. And before you realize it, there's really no difference between you and the world around you, the culture in which you're placed. There's no uh, picture of being set apart. So Paul, in this section, is calling them back from swinging the pendulum too far. In verse 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. In other words, start taking, they've become where they've taken it to not, not seriously enough. And so he reaches out to them. And I, I love that he refers to them as his beloved. 
He's making sure that this is covered in a tone of concern. I, I genuinely care about you. Your love, this is coming from a place of love. Any of us that are married probably learned this early on in marriage is that, man, if, if you're just bathing everything in just solid truth and not basking it in, or first having it go through the filter of love, that's a problem. It can actually be counterproductive. Well, Paul lovingly explains that running from idolatry is the only appropriate response. It's the only appropriate response. And idolatry is such a, a huge thing. Sometimes we just think of idolatry as the, in the simplest terms of idolatry is just having other things that compete for God's affection and that we start going down different things with our affections. Found it interesting from John MacArthur as I was reading this week, week I like how he defines it, uh, that adultery is, I, I mean, idolatry is more than that. It's any false thought about God. Let me explain what, you, what he means by that. An un, if you come to the conclusion that God is not trustworthy, I can't depend on him, I can't rely on him, that is idolatry. Well, what about if you've come to the conclude what if you've come to the conclusion that God can't rescue you from the situation that you're in? Well, that's idolatry. What if you've come to the conclusion that you can manipulate God to do the things that you want? What if you've come to that conclusion? That's idolatry. Why is that idolatry? It's idolatry because you fabricated a God that doesn't exist. You see, idolatry is, is deeper and wider than maybe some of us realize. But in this instance, he's wanting to make sure he's more directing or dealing with a direct issue with literal idols that are being worshipped. Now, typically, uh, idol worship present day is more associated with idols of the heart. You think about the things that get our attention and affection. Money, stuff, prestige, power, whatever it is. But this, in this instance, he's addressing a people group that I'm sure dealt with that, but a people group that are literally trying to manage uh, not being or participating in the false worship of idols. We'll continue in the text. So fir first thing was just setting the, the context and understanding what he's charging them to flee or to run from idolatry. He explains a little bit further what that looks like. He says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ? Question mark. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that any idol is anything? No, I imply the what that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 
All right, we'll pause there. There's a, a lot going on and a lot of co- this conversation. You're like, what is going on? And that's why he starts. Notice the very first line of that section. He says, I speak as dissem- sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. In other words, he's trusting that his audience are made up of sensible people that they can follow with his reasoning. And what is his reasoning? Basically, he's using what I titled this section, the communion comparison. Basically, he brings up communion that we're all familiar with. If you're at church this weekend, we'll even partake in that at the beginning of the month. But that's something that everyone would be familiar with, the communion cup, the thing that Jesus had introduced and set as an ongoing way to remember him. It fosters, as we see here, participation with Christ through remembrance. Basically, what happens through communion, both the cup and the bread, we see here, is an intense kind of heightened sensitivity to what Jesus has done for us. Something about slowing down and literally having something in your hand to remind you of the body that was broken for you, for the blood that was spilt for you. There's something about that that heightens, that brings you to a place of remembrance. It's like participating in that. I know I've been in times of communion where I'm even moved to tears just thinking through the sacrifice that was made on my behalf. This exercise that we do is a, uh, intensifies the remembrance. Now, just to be clear here, the, the Roman Catholic Church would interpret these verses very differently. They believe that the cup becomes the blood of Christ and the bread becomes his body. It's called transubstantiation. So they literally believe that they're partaking in the blood and that they're partaking in the flesh so that you're literally receiving him through your mouth. It's an interesting concept, but I don't believe that when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, on at the Last Supper, I don't believe that when he said, this is my body, this is my, this is my blood, I don't believe that any of them were confused that it was intended to be a symbol and not something literal. Much like when he claimed to be the door, nobody thought that he was a three foot by six foot made of wood. That wouldn't make any sense. So here, coming back to the picture that he's painting, in summary, communion allows us to identify with Jesus. So he brings that up first, but then he brings up the counter option, the option that when you partake in in the idol festivals, when you partake in in drinking the things that were served or before these idols, he's saying in the same way, That's a connection that you're then communing with them. So the the, the person that's at one hand taking time to remember Jesus and commune with him, saying it it doesn't make any sense, it's inconsistent if they're communing, as he describes here, with demons. You're like, well, how how does that work? He says, we who are many are one in the body of Christ. And then it says, eating the sacrifice, you participate in the altar. In other words, all believers are united when they participate in communion. We have that shared thing in common. Well, he's warning against that. He's saying, I do not want you to participate with demons. In other words, 
There's a collective worship on both sides. So for us to be cautious of what we participate in because it's saying in this text that, hey, you might have a liberty to be able to partake in these different food items, but there's a caution that's attached to it. You don't want to do or be considered going in the same route as those who are worshiping false idols. So the question for us, and this is what you always wrestle with, is in our context, you're just like, well, I don't really spend a lot of times in a, uh, in a, a place of worship of false idols. So what does that look like? It's kind of wrestling through that even in my study. I'm like, well, what example do I point to? And I kept on feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit, even though I didn't necessarily uh, want to bring up. It seems sometimes like a forbidden subject. But you have to ask these questions as it relates to things like the films we watch, the concerts we might attend, the Spotify playlist that we have on our phone, the Netflix that we consume, asking the question, am I communing? Am I participating with things that have nothing to do with God? And if they have nothing to do with God, man, it can start going pretty quickly down a dangerous road. I had conviction even just this last week. We were, my wife and I were, uh, had a, a TV series that were suggested to, to check out and how great it was going to be. But it's interesting, after even just watching a couple episodes, just feel like, man, there's, there's nothing of God in this. There's nothing hopeful. It's all dark. It's all nothing pointing towards anything of the rescue of Jesus Christ. I know everybody has to work through some of this stuff with conviction, but I believe it relates directly to this topic of not participating in the things of this world and figuring out what does it look like to be light in a dark environment. He says, as he comes to conclusion, he says, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? In other words, do we want to go down an avenue that's like not, not of him, literally provoking him? I think it's interesting where he re refers to you better be strong. You better be ready. Anybody that spends time in the Old Testament realizes how God responds to false idols and how he actually opposes them. So that's his communion illustration. He continues to bring them back to the big idea of what does this balance look like. Verse 23, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. We'll stop there for some consideration, basically bringing us back to the big idea where, hey, listen, yes, we are free to partake in all kinds of options, but he wants us to ask the tough question, just because something is lawful, and you can see the two questions to ask right there in the text, is it helpful and does it build up? Is it helpful and does it build up? The first one, is it helpful? That's a personal consideration. You might have the, the freedom as, a, as an individual to eat every single meal at McDonald's. But every single one of us or many of us have seen supersize and we realize that that is not going to end well. You ask the question, well, all the things that run across our path of choices, you're like, well, 
I could see this, I could participate in this, I could eat this, I could do this, but is it actually helpful? And then to, to take it even further, is then asking the question, even though it's lawful, does it actually build up? You see, you have different believers at all different places in their walk with Christ. And some people find offense by one thing, other people by another thing. And so what he's pushing towards, he's saying, just because something is permitted, is it going to be beneficial in building somebody up? Or is it going to have the opposite effect? Is it going to be a setback? Is it, is it going to be a stumbling block is a description used elsewhere in scripture? He asks that question. So asking, is there liberties? This is a question we can ask ourselves. Are there liberties that I may have, but realizing I have brothers and sisters in Christ that are coming from all different places and all different backgrounds. Do I push forward with my freedoms and what I have the right to do? Or do I choose the route of being concerned and loving others first? Obviously here, the big idea is we're intended to be others first. I was reading about a pastor uh, that was in this section of scripture and he was telling the story. He's telling the story of at the end of the sermon, he had the opportunity for uh, uh, his, his congregation to respond. And he asked the question, tell me a time where you gave up a personal right for the benefit of somebody else because you're concerned about them. He said at the end of the service, he said it was crickets. Nobody had a single illustration because in our nature, we're selfish. We're concerned about me and my rights and what I'm able to do. What Paul's trying to bring us back to is not the, the, the idea of my rights, but rather bringing us back to the idea of others first, putting other people's concerns before my own. He says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You see, unlimited freedom is always selfish. Love is the anchor. Love is the anchor that you're thinking not just about me in my freedoms, but you're thinking about how does that have an effect on others? Is it helpful? Is it building them up? Good questions for us to ask. He uses this illustration of kind of how to find that balance. He gives, moves to real specific here in the text, verse 25. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, Eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be de determined by someone else's conscience? All right, well, let's stop and think about what he's saying there. Basically, the way that I read that, he's trying to give a real practical, hey, these people are showing up at the market. Basically, you're going to uh, somebody's house. How do we respond to some of these situations? Basically, the way that I read it, he's saying, don't get weird about it. In other words, 
if you dig in too deeply with anything in this world, you start to realize that it's tainted by sin. So he's trying to say, don't make something an issue that's not an issue. When you want to live a, a life of liberty, not of legalism. That's the one thing he's saying is if, you, if you're going to a butcher shop, don't ask the butcher 50 questions about where the meat's coming from. What's the company that sold it? Is it, you know, don't, don't go down that route. If you're being served something, don't get weird causing offense for no reason. Instead, he says, listen, if there's something where it's a known issue, where you know that there's a root behind that, that this meat, as he says, he gives the example, was served to idols. He says, because of that person's conscience, because obviously by them bringing it up, it was a big deal to them. Because of that, you're like, you know what? I'm going to pass because of why? Because you're concerned about them, not your liberties. He's bringing us back to kind of practical applications of this others first mentality. But here's the idea that I take from this is there's certain times where you need to figure out that there's a line that needs to be drawn. Where you're just like, you know what? Knowing that this, is, that this is clearly not of God, knowing that this is pagan worship, knowing that this is uh, completely opposite of what scripture points to, there's times in our life that we need to be able to draw a line and be able to say, you know what? I can't participate in this. I'll be honest with you, I'll share an example of a regret I have. A couple years ago, I got invited to a, a comedy club to see a, a friend perform. He's a Christ follower, and he, he explained in advance, he said, listen, some of the acts that are before me, you might not enjoy because they can get a little bit crass. And so I thought, well, you know, I just want to support this guy and be an encouragement to him. But man, sitting through some of those comedy acts and some of the conversations that were clearly so far from God and exactly the opposite, I just felt, remember just feeling just like, man, God, I'm not supposed to be here. There's a real tension that I felt in that. And I still think about that still to this day where there's certain times, and this is an important piece of this equation, where when the Holy Spirit is nudging you, is saying, hey, you're not supposed to be a part of this. Hey, you shouldn't be watching that. Hey, you shouldn't be in that conversation. Bail, jump ship. We need to be willing and ready to walk away in order to keep a clear conscience. We have to be able to draw a line somewhere. There has to be a point where we say, man, I can't be a part of this. My question for you, do you have those things that come up? Or have you gotten so enveloped by the culture and the world around us that nothing sets you off anymore? Nothing has a big deal anymore. Nothing trips your conscience. That, my friends, I would say, is not in a healthy place to be. Continue in this last section as he helps us make even more sense out of this concept with a bigger picture. He says, If I partake with thankfulness... Why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. So what's happening here? 
It's almost like he's suggesting one other rebuttal that he might encounter. He says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? In other words, can't I just participate in stuff because I I have, have the right mentality with it because I'm just being thankful for it, even though I know it's a bad thing? Isn't there, isn't there freedom in that? What he brings them back to, and this is the important thing, it's key to understand the primary goal of our lives. It's identified right here. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to what? The glory of God. The glory of God. That's, that's the end goal of our lives. We're intended to highlight and spotlight him, to make him look great. You have a purpose. You're not just a blob here on earth. You're left here after salvation with one intention is to be able to point people to the majesty of God, that they see his glory through you. You're kind of like a, a, a giant mirror that's reflecting him to the world around him, uh, to, to the world around us. Really, if you think about it, every single moment of every day is kind of made up as a, as a Christ follower, as choices to either honor or dishonor him, to either make him look great or to make him look poorly. The non-believer, they can't help it their entire life. They don't even acknowledge God. So their entire life is dishonoring to God. But the believer, we have moment by moment to choose. In today's language, you'd say you either bring him good press or bad press. We have personal opportunities on a daily basis to do one or the other. I had an interesting interaction just over Christmas as kind of a embarrassing one to some degree. I was online on Facebook and there was someone in this writing group that I'm a part of that was mentioning that their son had passed away for cancer and they had a PS5, which is a gaming system that they wanted to bless somebody with that would benefit from it. So I thought to myself, you know what? The youth room here at the church doesn't have one of those. I was like, you know what? I sent the guy a message and I said, listen, uh, this is, I'm a part of a church. We have a youth room that, that might be a cool way to be a, able to encourage other people that would have some fun with it. Uh, if you'd be willing to pass it on, we'd be grateful. Just no, no big deal. Well, the guy went into an explanation. Well, he's in Texas and explained that I would just need to cover shipping. Now, when he said that, I was like, some of the bells started going off in my ear of like, oh, I probably shouldn't do that. But then I was thinking, you know what? 60 bucks to me is worth the gamble of maybe being able to get a cool game system that would bless uh, kids here connected to the church. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and just do it. Even though there was parts of me that was like, don't do it, don't do it. But I, I, I did it anyway. And sure enough, just as you'd expect with online fraud where that was going, nothing's been sent. There's no communication after that point. Uh, and really, I just consider myself out $60. Well, truth be told, at first, I had a really hard time with that. I was like, man, this is just, just burning me. And so I'm trying to think through what I was going to say to him. I was going to just light him up online and, uh, and just point to it. Then I just started thinking about it. God started doing a work on me and this whole idea of representing him, I was just like, ah, oh, man, I can't just light him up on here. And so on this messenger, I decided, you know what? On Christmas day, I sent him a quick note 
I just said, hey, listen, I said, uh, whether you decide to send that or just take my money, whatever you decide, my hope is, is that you come to know the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And I went and just walked through uh, briefly the gospel message that everyone can have hope uh, in him if they, place their, if they repent of their sin, emphasis on sin, and turn to him for rescue. And just really thinking through that, I was just like, you know what? If it costs me 60 bucks to be able to point this one particular person to the love of Jesus Christ, man, that is worth it when you start thinking about these words, that our purpose, whether you eat or drink or get robbed online, whatever you do is all for the glory of God. He's intended to look great. That's what we're intended to do. So my question when we're, for you is just when you're going through your week, if that becomes the primary focus, it changes your lens on a lot of stuff. You're asking yourself questions like, hey, is my online viewing, is that glorifying to God? You know, is the, the use of my paycheck, is that glorifying to God? Is my parenting glorifying to God? Is the, the way I'm spending my time is my, are my driving habits? That's a tough one to ask yourself. Glorifying to God is how I dress glorifying to God is how I spend my Friday evenings is that glorifying to God. You see, all of this is intended to point to him and his goodness for someone to see a glimpse of him through you. My wife and I were watching this uh, documentary, uh, speaking of watching things online on Netflix, and it's a documentary about Prince Harry and, uh, and Meghan Markle and just their, their life. And it's interesting, the thing that I've observed from watching a couple of episodes of this documentary is how much of their life revolves around the image of the queen. They don't want to do anything that ever uh, makes her name look poorly, anything that uh, speaks poorly of the royal family. And so they spend their life, I feel bad for them actually, just walking on tiptoes. And the tabloids are constantly looking for how they can make them look poorly. And I was like, man, I really think to some degree, that's a picture of a life of someone following Jesus Christ. We're broadcasting a message to the world about the way our God is. And our God does not like bad publicity. Go to the Old Testament to see about that. He doesn't like, he'll, he'll, only, he'll only tolerate bad publicity so long. So for us, the hope is, is that we're actually demonstrating him accurately, clearly, because when the world sees a clear view of who Jesus is, he's irresistible. That's why Paul says, I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. That's the idea behind all of this. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for some of the wisdom that's dropped on us from this section as we all try to walk this line of being in the world but not of the world, of being set apart, but also engaging, of, of being living a life of freedom and liberty, but also constrained by love. God, all of that, we acknowledge that we need your help. 
We can't do this alone. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit that's been sent as our helper. My prayer is that we lean into him heavily in this subject. God, again, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy as we all try to navigate this together. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.